My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the post-credit pod. Eric, I did not think that The Mandalorian Season 2 could top last week's episode with my fictional crush, Ahsoka Tano. They might have this week, because holy hell, that was an amazing episode before we jump into all of our Mando recap, review, analysis, evaluation, some big news we got to discuss. Two things in particular. First, yesterday, Thursday, Warner Brothers made the historic announcement, historic, and I want to underline that a million times, that every single one of their 2021 films will be releasing day and date in theaters and domestically on HBO Max. It is Zeus hurling a thunderbolt from Mount Olympus to the mortal world. That is the significance, the explosive development in the entertainment industry right now. This is your space, Brandon. So I kind of just want to let you let that chopper sing. So if you've got a rant, please, by all means, and then I'll share my uh, simpleton thoughts. But I'm sure you've got a businessy <laughs> point of view that, that would be very, uh, you know, helpful. I do appreciate the runway, my friend, because of course I'm, I have a rant prepared. Uh, I've got two articles on it hitting observer.com today, but I genuinely want fans who, who listen to understand that I am not being hyperbolic when I say that this is the most significant development in the entertainment industry in the last 20 years. He's this, let that chop a sing, folks. I told boom. you. <laughs> so essentially, again, every 2021 film plus Wonder Woman in 1984 will hit theaters in the U.S. and HBO Max at the same time. That's 18 total films. Brandon, let's uh, name some big ones here. Exactly. Do- Great call, Eric. We've got Go Dune. Ahead. We've got The Matrix 4. We've got Space Jam 2. We've got Godzilla vs. King Kong. We have a million high-profile WB movies coming straight to uh, streaming. Now, this is huge because we have never before seen blockbuster tentpoles of this magnitude coming to at-home platforms this quickly. And while WB says it's only for 2021 in response to the complications suffered from the global pandemic. And in their statement, which I found to be a little poignant shot at the U.S., their official statement read, and this is uh, not word word for word, but the, the gist of, this is in response to the ongoing global pandemic, particularly in the United States. Those were their exact words, particularly in the United States. And you're right to point that out because this move is essentially saying, hey, U.S., we don't trust that you're going to get your shit together in the next year because there's zero evidence we are, even though there's been positive vaccine reports, yet they still want to reap global theatrical distribution revenue. And this move allows them to do both. But importantly, once you've opened Pandora's box, it's very difficult to put it all back in. So this could become something of a new normal moving forward. Now, there are pros and cons for theaters, on the pro side, they get a guaranteed runway of high profile new movies, which has been desperately needed. And they get that instead of the continued game of musical chairs that we're playing with release delays. So now they can actually count on opening theaters and having new blockbusters to show. On the downside, of course, foot traffic isn't going to be as high. There's going to be huge piracy. And of course, a ton of HBO Max subscribers are going to say, why go to theaters when I can have it right here? Uh, Another pro is that they're going to get a bigger slice of the theatrical ticket sales for letting WB do this. But again, long term, this is probably the first major domino along with Universal's new exhibition deals that allow them to put stuff on PVOD after three weeks. It's probably the first major domino to fall in which the entire idea and concept of theatrical distribution changes for good. So it's a huge, 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 huge Huge deal. I cannot understate that. I also think it's worth pointing out how Warner Bros., who has long been known as the filmmaker's studio, is now sort of... They're called the Dream Factory for a reason. And now they're sort of at the forefront of the business end. Like, they were the ones to try out Tenet. 
they were the ones to decide to put Wonder Woman on streaming, which is probably the biggest film to ever stream. Absolutely. They're, they're the first ones to make this call of, hey, for this next year, we are going to completely change how we're doing things. So I think it's fascinating that they have been the ones to, to try new things. They are, in a smarter sense, throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Whereas a lot of studios, you get the idea that they're just trying to wait it out. Warner Bros. doesn't think that they could do that now. As you said, this is a sign that they think theaters aren't going to go back to the way things were until 2022. Like, I doubt the Batman is going to be dropped on HBO Max. I could promise you that. Yeah. I think they're still doing that. They're still angling towards a future where theaters are still a thing. That said, you know, as the wise Doctor Strange once said, We're in the endgame now. We are in the endgame now. (laughs) This is how it was always going to be. Regardless of coronavirus, pandemic, et cetera, et cetera, this was the eventual world we were always going to live in. I always felt that way. But to me, my theater-going experience, as long as they're still there, isn't going to change much, right? Like, I went to theaters for big movies. Anything else, I'd watch at home. I'd say, oh, I'll wait for it or whatever. But when it comes to the Dunes, the Wonder Woman, those are the type of stuff that I would go out and see simply because I couldn't wait. And I still think people are going to do that. But now I think this really affects the non-tentpole films. That is where the future of theaters are going to change. Are they going to be showing as many movies in theaters or are they going to be sort of the home for the big ticket projects and everything else is just sent right to VOD? Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I want to make one thing clear to listeners. I am of the belief that theaters will never go extinct. There will always, always be demand for communal viewing of blockbuster films, such as like an Avengers Endgame and a lot of the ones we've mentioned. And I don't believe necessarily that this exact strategy, you know, day and date streaming and theatrical will always be the case for every blockbuster, including WB, such as the Batman, like we just mentioned. But this certainly changes the game and and we'll probably see after 2021, WB revert to something like Universal has now with certain exhibitors where they've now recently this year reached the agreement where if they so choose, they can move movies to PVOD after three weeks. And if it opens to 50 million or more, they can do it after uh, four weeks or five weeks, I believe. So that's probably the future we'll see. But yeah, I I agree. Big movies are still always going to have a place. There's always going to be demand for that in the theater. Now, even more interestingly too, because we are in the streaming revolution and this is the Boston Tea Party of the streaming revolution, this turned HBO Max from a punchline that had a softer than expected launch to a power player. This is a must-have surface for movie service for movie lovers now, at least in 2021. So I'm so fascinated to see how that plays out. I think what this does for them also, it connects the idea to the average fan that HBO Max is a subsidiary of Warner Bros., I feel like a lot of their problems have come with the fact that people didn't understand what the fuck HBO Max meant. 100%. I already have HBO. What is HBO Max? Had they named it Warner Bros. something, I think they would have been better off because it would have been clear that this is not just like a juiced up HBO. This is something (laughs) different and tired because that's what you think of, right? It's like, oh, HBO. But on steroids. Like that is- Their branding and marketing has been atrocious. So- so I think that this makes it crystal clear that this is something bigger than just HBO. This is a destination for some of the biggest hits you'll find. I've always said, and regardless of Batman, even you know films with like Blade Runner 2049, this is my favorite studio. I love these guys. So for them to now have a home on streaming where they could feed us this stuff, and look, man, I'm not as much of a theater purist as you are. You know um, I love the theater. Although I love streaming too. I, I, I'm a best of both worlds. So I got to tell you, man, like from December 23rd to December 25th, when we're going to be able to watch The Midnight Sky, Soul, and Wonder Woman in the course of two days to me is thrilling. 
<laughs> thrilling. And I would never go see those in theaters in that time span. But now I could crush all three of them in two days with my family, yeah. Christmas, etc. So these are positive developments. You're the average, you are more representative of the average American consumer than I am. Because I'm theater first, for sure. I prefer the movie theater. But I love that this is an option. So I, I'm kind of, I think, the purist who's not a dick about it. Because I understand, you can't, uh, you can't not acknowledge the just market reality. It's that simple. This is what it is. Now let get on me board or get out of the way. To put a bow on this one. Are other studios going to follow suit? Do we see Disney pulling some type of move? How does this make the dominoes fall? Great question, Eric. I'm glad you asked it. It's another topic I discuss in all my content on Observer.com today. Shameless plug, shameless plug. But this move puts more pressure on Disney specifically to start rerouting a few more films to Disney Plus in one form or the other. Now, what they're doing, and because of the franchises they have, they are under less pressure overall than other studios to break the theatrical windows because they have the most important blockbusters. But other, other studios aren't capable, really, of doing this. Disney through Disney Plus and Warner Brothers through HBO Max are the only studios capable of doing this, which is why it positions their streaming services to be among the three god-tier ones with everyone else playing catch-up. Uh, Sony doesn't have a streaming service, so they're selling out films to other studios. Paramount has CBS All Access, which is becoming Paramount Plus, but that can't generate nearly the See, the problem with revenue. these fuckers is they don't know what to name these things. Are you kidding me? The names are bad. And Discovery Plus CBS is now coming too. CBS All Access to Paramount Plus? Sorry, but that is just, yo, brands, hire me. <laughs> I promise you I will do a better job because this is obscene at this point. Go ahead. I would, I would hire Eric if I was in their position for sure. But, but yeah, long story short, the other studios don't have the capabilities to do this, which positions Disney Plus and HBO Max along that kind of Netflix tier long term. Uh, now, again, it puts more pressure on Disney to start doing this if they really want to prioritize Disney Plus, though they don't have to because their franchise IP is enough to get some healthy viewership when theaters do return. So it's all this very complex layered topic, but there are so many moving parts to it that it's so exciting from a movie streaming business, theatrical industry standpoint. And I hope you guys will read about it more. What is your bottom line here, B? Good or bad? If you had to Depends pick one, on what you can't choose gray. You've got to be black or white about it. Okay, then at the end of the day, I'm a consumer. And from a consumer point of view, this is good because it gives us more options and capability and freedom. Okay, fair. Same here. Boom. All right, something a little bit less intense, but nonetheless exciting. It has been confirmed after months and months and months and months and months of annoying Twitter rumors that yes, indeed, Oscar nominee Haley Steinfeld will be playing Kate Bishop in the Hawkeye Disney Plus series. For you what think film? we can get a for what the Hawkeye for, Disney Plus series? No, no, no. What did she get nominated for? Oh, she for True Grit when she was like fifteen. I love that movie. Good for her. Yeah. No kidding. And she was great. Holy in that movie. shit. Wow. Can, what a can you put star. in a, oh my can you God. put in an audience clapping noise for the finally confirmed after months and months of rumors? Gladly. <laughs> so I have here written my notes, and this is true. She's my future wife and I love her. So uh, I just want to see her in everything because I love Haley Steinfeld. She's I mean Steinfeld, that's tribe, no? She, she is a member of the tribe. Uh, She's an no unbelievably wonder. talented actress. She's an unbelievably talented musician. Singer. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I just Bumblebee think was not bad. I like Bumblebee a lot. Her casting in this is A, perfect, but B, part of a slew of castings that have brought this show from something I didn't really care about to something I've got to see. Really? That much elevation for you just based on the casting? Ailey Steinfeld, Florence Pugh, Vera Farmiga, Tony Dalton. That is nice as good of a supporting starring cast as you could possibly want. My question with this, and I'm so excited that Haley Steinfeld's in this, and I, I definitely want to talk more about uh, Kate Bishop. But my question is, now that Florence Pugh is going to be in it, like, 
at what point does Disney, for the sake of the MCU timeline, say we have to re- release Black Widow, whether it's in theaters or Disney Plus? We have to get it out there if we want more Disney uh, MCU content. And what is so absurd about it is this is an MCU film that feels ready-made to stream, right? It's like it's big enough because a Scarlett Johansson is a massive star. She's been in this role for ten years now. But it's not a big team-up film. It's sort of in that nice... Uh, I still think it would have been a billion dollars under normal circumstances. Uh, really? Read, read my article on Observer.com when oh I, when I interview box All office right. experts All about right. which ones. All right. <laughs> um, because what? Like, so, you, so like Ant-Man 2, right? Made about like 650 mil. You think it would clear that easy? I think it would clear it, yeah. Okay. I still think that this is sort of the perfect film for, uh, to stream. I think the stakes are s- small enough because it takes place in the past. It's a self-contained film. It is going to be a year late at this point. And as you just said, it is holding up the entire timeline sort of. Yep. But this series won't come out until the end of the year. So that guarantees that through hook or crook, Black Widow is going to come out in some way, shape, or form before then. Because they have got backlogged at this point. Considering how much they're filming right now, they are filming tons of stuff from TV to films. We still haven't even gotten a trailer for Eternals that wrapped filming at, the, at basically like February or I March. I think they've got like eight to ten things currently backed up. So... You make a great point that if they want to, I mean, it's not like the MCU can lose steam, right? If anything, the weight could build up some more hype. Agreed 100%. But that said, there's something to be said about audience uh, continuity, right? Like people, the average person is going to forget where the MCU left off. They aren't like us where this is their job. Nerds. So I do think, you're right. This does uh, this does put the clock on a little bit more, but uh, I'm just curious to see in what sense is she fitting in? Because as I just said, the film takes place in the past. Hawkeye, as I read this week, takes place in 2025, which is 2025. Yep, yep. yep. When which did is, Endgame end? I or think when did that's Far From Home Thanos. take place? Yeah, I think that's post Thanos. But like, what year is Far From Home supposed to take 2023, place? 2023, maybe. That's a wow, guess. This is yeah, yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. So wild stuff going on. Go ahead, B. No, I just was gonna say I don't really know much. Back to Haley Steinfeld a bit. I don't really know much about the Hawkeye comics. I don't really know much about Kate Bishop. I wanted to ask you if there, you had some uh, some download on what what this represents in terms of comics. Well, I think it ties back into something that we've discussed on this show before, and that's Kang in Ant Man Three. Kang has a connection to the young of Avengers. This gets very comic booky and out of my depth, but he's somehow at the same time their founder and also their number one villain. And Kate Bishop is a young Avenger. So I think this signals a third route that the MCU might be going down, how you and I talk about. It, it's, it seems like they're building towards one corner that's multiversal and kind of introducing new continuities and the other is more mystical supernatural so i think this is a third one where they're going with like ant-man kang and the younger crowd that this could be branching off yeah skewing towards a younger demo uh it definitely seems like they're building towards a new avengers i mean we know we have um i think monica rambeau the the grown-up girl uh from captain marvel in wandavision we know we know she's gonna be in there Uh, i think I think there's other, I can't remember off the top of my head, but other younger characters are being introduced in the near future. So it does seem like new Avengers is going to be, I mean, young Avengers is going to be their next crossover-y type of thing. Right, and that's sort of what I think is the main takeaway here is that the fact that Florence Pugh is going to be in this show is going to be sort of the first steps of that. Sounds pretty cool. And I think having Haley Steinfeld and Florence Pugh in the MCU for the foreseeable future, is that's just all good decisions right also, there. Also, we didn't even touch about how this is also going to serve as Jeremy Renner's like swan song. So it's going to be doing two things at once. I think the cast is incredible. I think... Disney is making it clear that these shows are no bullshit. They are taking <laughs> this stuff seriously, deadly seriously. I mean, you look at that they put cast. put Kevin Feige in charge, so he's not yeah, going to You look at that cast. That sort of cast could open a legitimate movie. 
right? Like, so. That'd be a dope movie. Yeah, great stuff here. All right, well, I'm glad that Marvel's progressing. I'm glad Warner Brothers and HBO Max have some crazy news. But I think I'm most glad today because last week, the Mandalorian episode, The Jedi, introduced the live-action Ahsoka Tano, something Star Wars fans have been waiting for for years, dating back to the uh, original you know, animation Clone Wars Rebel shows. I thought they were going to probably ease back off the gas pedal after such a momentous occasion. Wrong, 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 wrong. This was arguably the most action-packed, badass episode of The Mandalorian ever. Agree or disagree? Ooh, I mean... In terms of its actual content, it was one long action scene. So in that sense, yes, um, the stakes were as high as you want. We will get into that all once we really dive in. But you are totally right. I would argue that taking out the fact that last week was a momentous Star Wars moment, I would say this one was just as thrilling because it was tied directly into the main plot, developed the plot in a serious, serious way, which is what I ask for every week, when they're able to do that with what amounts to, not like the raid, but just the way that it was set up, that you're like going through waves of fights. Sick. I mean, Robert Rodriguez directed it, and it very much felt like Desperado in space to me. That dude, I wrote down that he pulled up and he was like let me show y'all how to film this show because it looked so good despite the fact that it was very contained it just looked great from yoda to the fight scenes to boba fett from what are those dark troopers i guess yeah all of it just looked so goddamn cool so cool and i really did not like Alita battle angel at all which was robert rodriguez's last feature directorial uh effort but man, he, he just knocks it out of the park here so hard. We're going to get some hate for this because Alita has such a very passionate Twitter uh, following, Alita Army hashtag. But I, Seriously? I just, I just, yeah. No, I'm, Are you serious? Just, any, anytime I I'd say anything negative about uh, Alita Battle Angel, I get my mentions get blown up. Because they love the book that it's based on, I assume, they, right? They love the movie or and they want to see like, the full trilogy and everything. I, I personally thought it was a terrible movie, but you know, teach their own. He's been in the game for oh, my yeah. whole life at this point. Um, so as soon as life. I found, as soon as I found out that this was his, I immediately knew that this was going to be sort of a run and gun type, type <laughs> show. That's well said. That's, that they are the Houston Rockets offense of the Mandalorian season two. So let's jump into that because it, it's very much a run and gun episode. Perfect word choice. We basically start Din Mando. And, uh, and Grogu, which, like, come on, I'm still calling him Baby Yoda. They're on the Razor Crest. They're approaching Tython. And I think Din is having his full Big Daddy Adam Sandler moment where, like, we know he's already fallen in love with this kid, but he's just falling even more in love with the kid as he uses his real name to get his attention, as he's continually impressed with Baby Yoda's force powers and how he's doing what he thinks is best for Baby Yoda, which is finding a Jedi who can train him and kind of really be on his level in terms of a caretaker uh clearly he really cares about him and he's torn up about it but you know he, he's doing it anyway i thought these were these were good bonding moments although you weren't quite as sold i knew that we were fucked as soon as the scene started because he let out his first ever laugh like it was a hearty chuckle because he was acting how anyone would when they like find out that their pet can talk, you know? He was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you found out your dog really yeah. knew what you were saying to it, you would be talking to it all the time. So he was like, Grogu. And then he looks and he's like, <laughs> he found it so funny. So from that moment, Brandon, I knew we were fucked because it was such a manipulative bonding moment in a good way you know this is how you build character relationships with scenes like this i get that but when i could feel it when i overtly feel it and could watch the inner workings of it unfold in front of my eyes you know i knew we were in trouble here because they were (laughs) because they were really showing how far they've come the interplay between the two of them his obviously genuine feelings for like you could and that's why pedro pascal our fucking king 
is <laughs> crushing this role because you could sense the sadness in him when he says, you're too strong. I cannot train you. Don't you want to learn all this stuff? Don't you want to live up to who you can be? If you stick around with me, kid, I'm just going to hold you back. And there's something devastatingly sad about him knowing that's what's best for the thing he's been the closest to in his entire life. Knowing that's what what's best for him is not by his side is very sad. Um, Doesn't that a little bit in your mind support what I've been saying that an eventual breakup between the two is possible? No, because as because the because because it only reaffirms that that is the core of this show, that these two growing up side by side is what makes this show so likable. It's a coming of age story for both of them, really. Um, And the smarter Yoda becomes, the more genuine that their connection is going to be. So it's only good, especially after he saves his ass soon. He's going to be like, bro, this is like twice now. You've saved my life. You are my <laughs> dog. I am not going anywhere. Bando and Grogu forever, you know? And I love Catching this scene. tattoos. Right, exactly. I love this scene, despite the fact that I could tell clear. I literally sent to you in a text. I said, yep. hold on, I'm going to pull up said text. And I can confirm to the fans listening at home, he called it right away. So I said to you, I was like, there's this tons of sort of very obvious father-son stuff going on makes me worry and then as soon as that scene's done they drop the title which is the tragedy tragedy. i'm like oh fuck me dude (laughs) so but still strong start especially for where this show went so they get to tython and they find the seeing stone that ahsoka tano had told them about earlier but the magic rock is kind of on this very thin platform, you know, up on a mountain. So Din Jaren has to basically park the Razor Crest down in the valley below and jetpack with baby Yoda in his arms to see the uh, the stone, which was adorable, by the way. Baby Yoda's like, wee, I'm flying. Like that was probably the, in a show full of adorable scenes, that was perhaps the, the best one yet, which is crazy to think. But I did write down, and I will give them credit, and you should too, because we give them a lot of shit for this. They went directly to Tython, which I did not expect. I thought that, actually, you thought probably that there was a chance that they, uh, actually, you said to me in a tech that you were worried that there was going to be a come down from last week. Uh, oh, I was wrong. So oh, I, I will give wrong. them credit that they directly went where yeah. they told us they were going to go last week, which is a, which is not always the case, but is what you and I say, which is when we like this show the most, when it is focused. Yeah, to actually use the word as it's meant to be used, they didn't pussyfoot around. And I'm not using that to be funny. It's the actual perfect usage of that word. They went directly into the story instead of just side quests and side quests and this and that. And I was happy to see that. I was especially happy because after everything we just talked about, he places Baby Yoda on the seeing stone. Baby Yoda immediately plays with a butterfly in yet another adorable moment that I love because puppies and baby Yodas are the same thing. And Din is trying to figure out basically how the seeing stone works. When all of a sudden in the skylight, we can see the slave one, which is Boba Fett's starship. And I knew what it was immediately. And I'm like, Oh, here we go. We're bringing them back. We're bringing them back. We're bringing them back. And then this is where the episode clearly goes from like, Hey, I'm really enjoying this to hell. Yeah. When he does show up, they do. And this is like, a character who, despite his immense fame, is not really in Star Wars that much. And when yeah. he is, he's wearing a fucking mask. And he's so, getting his ass kicked. Right. <laughs> so I did enjoy sort of him showing up. You could tell that this guy's a real deal because he has Mando pretty much pinned. They did a good job of showing that despite the fact that this dude is old and despite the fact that he is not at his full strength, he's still a badass. Absolutely. And and it was so cool because basically Boba Fett shows up, which is just already exciting. And obviously we knew that from the brief glimpse we got uh, in episode one of season two. He's with Fennec, who now is confirmed that at the in season one, when there was uh, the shot of just bo- uh, boots with the spurs coming across her uh, almost dead body in the desert on Tatooine, that the theory was 
that's probably Boba Fett. Those are his spurs. But of course it wasn't confirmed. Now it is confirmed. He saved her. They're working together. And like you said, instead of just kind of taking what he wants or, or pulling some villain stuff, he basically is having a conversation with Mando where he's like, listen, all I want is the armor. That's it. Just give me my armor. It was my father's. Now, I also want to point out that I love that Star Wars basically boils down to a bunch of grown-ass adult men with debilitating daddy issues. Every single one of them has daddy issues. He's like, yo, I need my pops' armor, all right? Yeah. Let's give that back. It's my, it's my life, man. It's my that's quarterback, all right? I, did, so I just I, think that's well, great. And I did not know that he had passed that, that down to him. Well, you did because you saw. Armor. Oh no, you never watched uh, Attack of the Clones. No, no. Oh my god. Okay, so long story short, for you, not even for the, the listeners, we're gonna be like <laughs> Eric, Django Fett, his Fuck father is movie. in Attack of you the Clones. Fuck that movie. I mean, yeah, that movie's terrible. <laughs> and and like teenage Boba Fett is in it, and Mace Window decapitates Django in front of Boba. Oh, which is which is intense. Yeah. Mace, my god. Yeah, he's coming so, back. So so that was all of the all of the clone troopers are clones of Django. And Boba Fett is also a clone of Django, just one who had unaltered growth. So he would just grow like a normal kid. Oh, shit. Okay, good stuff. Yeah, so that's cool. So basically, long story short, they come to like what is essentially an agreement. And it seems like, you know, okay, no blasting for anybody today. And as we think, wow, that was a cool little Western standoff conversation. Who is landing? Of course, stormtroopers under the command of Moff Gideon. And that is when shit hits the fan, Eric. This is this show at its peak. It's tying in all its threads at once. You've got Yoda doing his Yes, Jedi. I forgot to mention, he is shooting a blue beam, beam into the sky in typical blockbuster fashion. Uh, presumably, <laughs> he's communing with other Force users and Jedi out there in the galaxy. We talked on our last pod, the obvious candidates are luke skywalker or ezra bridger from uh rebels there's also a video game character whose name i can't remember because i never played the oh, video game uh cal kestis he's played by uh cameron monahan in the video game uh-huh oh that okay well that's very cool um so he's an option maybe it's a new character we we don't know but so he's clearly commuting with someone and, and that'll be interesting to find out now while Hold he's on, doing let that, me just say the comedy of that scene was very strong Mando being like, so uh, what do I just put you on this rock here? Is there an <laughs> on button somewhere? Like, you just like. He's just, using his just, helmet to just, scan. Just major confused dad vibes. Like, what's that uh, game you're playing there, son? The, the Call of Duty, huh? What are you doing over there? Like, he just has no fucking clue what to do. Yeah. Just his general confusion about all things Jedi and the Force is such a rich source of comedy to me that scene was played out perfectly he yeah. really is looking at a rock to try to turn it on i mean strong th those are dad vibes. those are strong dad vibes yeah so i loved that and you know while all that's going on basically a bunch of uh starships land and it's a whole bunch of stormtroopers these stormtroopers picked the wrong guys to mess with and i'm i'm saying that as simply as possible Eric, not only was this phenomenal action, great fight scenes, both for Mando and Fennec, but I thought, and I got these strong vibes, that with Boba cloaked in this dark robe, wielding this long weapon, I got space Grim Reaper vibes from him. That he's kind I of like this like, iconic, like uh, iconic imagery that fits with our knowledge, you know, of, of what the Grim Reaper is. And maybe... Is just a dark image and reputation in in the space Star Wars universe as well. I thought that was really cool. Plus, you could just tell that this guy's been through some shit. Just by the way that his face looks, the way that he's just smacking the hell out of these dudes, he's doing it with some real, some real fury. You know, some real. Yeah. I've seen some shit anger. Um, that's that's what happens when you survive the Sarlacc pit. Is there any context to what he's wielding? That's sort so of. I, I do not know off the top of my head what he is wielding. What I do know is that he's very good at wielding it. <laughs> Fair. Because this action scene was just <laughs> unbelievable. He's yeah. smacking dudes left and right. Fennec is sniping people. And earlier in the episode, she says, good thing I never miss. And like, I only counted one or two misses out of like dozens of shots. So I was like, you know what? You lived up to your reputation. She's definitely a badass character. I like that they're going to be 
palling around with him for probably these last two because because they yeah. said that, that that we're in your debt now so they're squatting up which is a dope squad that is a dope squad and i will get to this later but i'm thinking others may join them i would hope so and she's played um the actress's name escapes me at the moment so i do apologize but she's played by you know a badass actress who we've seen in other things i just Gotcha. I can't remember off the top of my head, but so they, you know, they do a phenomenal job as a squad destroying these stormtroopers. Boba storm- busts out the kneecap cannons. Oh my, that was what? awesome. I was not what? expecting dude, that. What, dude? Like, <laughs> I bet Cobb Vance didn't even realize that was a function. Of exactly. The he was yeah, exactly. It. Just awesome, awesome stuff in here. And because they're so awesome, Stormtroopers do what they do best, and they die, and they run away. And as they're running away... And I like Boba how Fett, they let them talk to really highlight how dumb they are. No. He was like, he was like, move forward, move forward, or something, and the guy got rinsed immediately. <laughs> yeah, now the boulder basically crushing people, that's obviously an homage to Indiana Jones, but it's also a Robert Rodriguez staple. He's done that a million times. Oh, word. And people on film Twitter were like, oh, I knew Rodriguez directed it when I saw the boulder. And I just thought that was great. Check out the big brain on Brandon. I love that Boba Fett destroys the two starship carriers with his jetpack missile. I thought that was extremely cool. And then I love the further conversation between uh, them three and him explaining to Mando, not taking, not forcefully, you know, arguing, but explaining, hey man, you can see this was my dad's. It was passed down to me. Like, I swear I just want my armor. That's it. And Mando being the honorable dude that he is, is like, totally, man. You you take it. But Mandos, man. They are honorable people. Yes. Yes, they are. And that actually speaks to, uh, that actually speaks to the crest that is on Boba Fett's armor. It, it's a Mandalorian crest representing the Fett symbol. And it is actually essentially a, a symbol, a symbolic representation of honor. So that is clearly important to him even though we've only known him previously as this kind of wretched bounty hunter and then he takes that a step up and he's like uh you know we're in your debt now let's do it you know until that kid is safe we're riding and the reason they are in his debt is because moff gideon shows up in an imperial cruiser which really is a statement in the eyes of boba fett that the empire is back which i'm sure he's not happy about after being left for dead in the sarlacc pit uh and they deploy their death troopers who they were robots i thought you and i thought in about episode four that they were kind of empty shells for what the force soldiers might use i still think our entire theory is right because moff gideon says hey dr pershing we have the donor so i still think his end game is to create force sensitive soldiers maybe make himself force sensitive whatever it is the death robot troopers steal baby yoda they get away and Fennec and Boba Fett say, hey, Mando, we'll help you get him back. We're in your debt. And boom, that's the episode, and it's really exciting. Now, let me say this, though. And this was a directorial flaw, I'd say. Why is Mando running everywhere? He's running up and down this hill. What are you doing, dude? You have a jetpack. I, don't, I did not get it. And that is an inexcusable uh, hand wave for me the fact that we saw him fly in and then he refuses to fly back and forth my thinking for that i wrote a note here mando must have great cardio because the whole episode he's running up and down a mountain jetpack gasoline question mark so i was essentially wondering like whatever fuel system it runs on, perhaps it's running low and he needs to go back to the Razor Crest to recharge it. And yes, we forgot to mention that at the end of this episode as well, the Razor Crest is sadly destroyed. Pour one out for the best hoopty in the galaxy. That broke my heart. That old busted joint. I, knew I was really upset. I swear it. to God, I was really upset. I love that ship. That's my fucking It's a great right ship. I, I hope it's like... The hoopty, uh, but it's my hoopty. I hope it's like the Guardians of the Galaxy where they get the second version of the Milano. I hope <laughs> right. we get that with the Razor right, Crest. exactly. So, so that was, to, to nitpick, that was my, my note. I, I assume the jetpack, you know, has a limited amount of juice. So that was that the is, episode. That is, a, that is a solid reach, Brandon. I will give you that. But that is still, that is not going to cut it for me. I'm sorry. And Because um, if he just used it, he wouldn't have lost the fucking kid. You know, they got to at least, at least let him say, oh, shit, it's dead. You know, at least explain to us why he's not using the one tool that he could have used to avoid this entire thing. The oh shit is dead probably is left on the the editing floor, I bet. (laughs) 
They're like, oh, we couldn't oh, get this line in there. Oh, bro, I my charger on Tatooine. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's jump into category. our words and categories so we can kind of expand this conversation. Kill First count? of all, your favorite category. Oh, yes, the kill count, it. my 10, friend. 10,000 people. Tons of people. I oh, mean, yeah, two, I don't know. Two shipfuls of stormtroopers. I didn't even try this time. Yeah, probably in 50-ish, if I had to guess. Yeah, somewhere in the big one. But and my you favorite have a kill of the week. Yep. Of course, I had the kill of the week, and, and we talked about it. The kill of the week was easily the knee missile launcher on Boba Fett's armor, which I didn't even know was a thing. Such but now that I think flex. about it, it's such an absurd flex. But now that I think about it, if I'm an intergalactic bounty hunter, I want secret hidden weapons on every part of my body. Like, oh, you think that's my butt cheek? Think again. It's a fucking mine. Boom. Yeah, yeah exactly. Totally. The They're deadliest ass in the galaxy. What I did enjoy in this one is Mando just eating shots is like now part of his game plan. He was like... Wait, which long term, not a great strategy. <laughs> no, I know, but he, he wasn't even trying to hide. He was like, go ahead, take your best shot. Just fucking eat in it, which is, <laughs> which is thug. But as you said, probably not the best for the long term. All right, trip to the Jedi Temple where we discuss any references to the Jedi. That's pretty much what they did this week. Yes, literally. My first bullet point is we are on Tython, which in canon is considered up there with like Octo and Jeddah as an ancient, like beloved ceremonial Jedi location that is also a very in-tuned location with the Force. You know, the Force flows strongly there. So it was cool to see it after it was mentioned last week, now kind of in full blue beam force and the big question is who or what is baby yoda communing with because there's a lot there's also a lot of species out there that are force sensitive as well do you have a guess did they give us any hints towards who that'd be this week no probably right i don't think so i mean it could be and i might be mispronouncing this but in star wars rebels they come across these creatures in the desert that are like bombthus or something like that and they are basically force sensitive creatures that help them on their journey. And they're really cool too. I don't know if they'll bring that in here, but we'll see. Uh, elsewhere in the Jedi Temple, we get a big look at the Darksaber because Moff Gideon's trying to flex for a toddler, what which is really like, cool, do, bro. It's cool how that one turns on, how it sort of just, it, it, it doesn't extend out. It just sort of like appears kind of. Very it's dope. a very, very badass yeah. weapon. But he's like taunting him. You're right. He's straight up shit talking a baby. He's like, it's look just at like your hilarious. little dumb little ass. What's up now, man? Check out my sweet sword. Which, all right, man, relax. You did literally nothing to get him except track him down. That's all he did. He didn't use the saber. In fact, the last time he crossed paths with this crew, he got his ass kicked. So He has not used the saber in combat a single time yet. He keeps just wielding it. I don't know if he can. Can he? Well, we're going to see how impotent like he might be. nice with it. It looks like to him that it's just a flex. I don't think he actually knows how to use it. I'd also like to point out, if we're being really realistic, that the Empire probably doesn't have a ton of resources post-Return of the Jedi. And he's just, like, all willy-nilly happy that, like, multiple stormtroopers, two starships, all this, all these resources are being blown up and destroyed. And he's just like, nah, mission accomplished. I can't imagine you have that much expendable material at your hands right now. That's what I'm saying. I think this guy's all talk. Uh, yeah. That said, then, though, speaking of the Darksaber, the Razor Crest got blown up but what was the only thing to last the Beskar the spear Beskar spear which has to go against that uh what did we say uh, check off spear, spear. Yep, yeah exactly i like that it, i mean it's going down it's guaranteed at this point <laughs> and then my last entry in trip to the jedi temple not really applicable but yet hilarious he din jaren is just so confused on tython and he looks to baby yoda and he goes does this look jedi to you and, like, again, just full-on dad vibes of not understanding what's going on, but being so well-intentioned. Amazing. Yeah, that whole it. scene was so funny. I'm going to leave you here. Do your thing. But can we please get the fuck out of here? Just, yeah. We've been saying it all year. The way that they've developed Mando as a character this season, as a personality, as a real human, has been amazing. Has been yeah. so well done still, despite the fact that we cannot see this dude's face. And yet we are learning more and more about who he is every single week. I mean, he has an actual personality. He's not just a stoic hero. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. Like when he was getting a kick out of Grogu, like that was, that was it showing. Yeah, you're right. He's not just this sort of Western lone ranger. He actually is just kind of like you and me and laughs at 
obscenely dumb shit. <laughs> Grogu. You know, the Beskar armor may protect his body, but they don't protect his feelings. <laughs> All right, folks. And that's where we're going to wrap it up. No, we got a few more categories All that people right. won't need to know. All right. The Baby Yoda, aw, and or holy shit moment of the week. All right. Now, easy. I, I, easy. Yeah. The, the, I think for the aw moment, uh, two really are, are, the, are the contenders. And I would say the jetpack. Uh, Joyride, and I would say him playing with butterflies, which is just adorable. And then for the holy shit moment, has to be when he's been taken capture by Moff Gideon. He's just ripping stormtroopers around with the force, brutalizing. He's yeah, brutalizing these stormtroopers. Amazing. Like, how do those stormtroopers go back to the Imperial cafeteria? Like, I would laugh them out of the fucking starship. I think, I think they're dead. I think he killed them dead. I think no, he... they they get up, they oh, walk away, they, but they? like. They're well, emasculated in my, in, forever. In, as you call it, in my head, head cannon, cannon, they're Love dead. That. Yeah, they're, they're dead. dead. <laughs> they're emotionally dead, that's for sure. You yeah. just got walloped by a baby. Brutalized. Ugh, <laughs> All so right, good. what about you? Same ones. The whole shit ones, was, right? not, now he's gone from, like, trying to play with a ball with the force to coming on the verge of murdering two grown men with no, barely even broke a sweat. Well, it's he's probably good- pissed. And remember, they, they tell Jedi to stay away from their anger, but it does make you more powerful. Gotcha. Oh, very true. Great point. But that's he why the Jedi are like, hey, don't fuming. do that. Yeah, he's yeah. fuming, I imagine. Uh, like, I want to go back to daddy. I would add in to the awe of the week in that first scene where Mando's trying to train him and he yells because he's pumped, but Baby Yoda gets like scared and thinks yeah. he did something wrong as like a dog would, as a pet would. He's like, no, 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 you did great. You did great, pal. They crushed the cuteness vibes this week. Whereas at the beginning of the year, I don't know. It felt forced. These Especially last, the eating jokes. Yeah, these last, exactly. These last few weeks, they've been absolutely nailing it. Like the, this is the stuff that the memes and gifts are made of the last like, few weeks specifically. Yep, yep. All right, use the force, the best action fight moment of the episode. I mean, there's so many contenders for this because of how much we love these fight scenes. You know, I love the boulder. I love the jetpack. I love the kneecap. I I loved him swinging around that spear, scythe, whatever you want to call it. That was brutal. And especially when they pan over the mangled body of a destroyed uh, stormtrooper. Like, man, this dude is vicious. So kind of the whole episode for the The use the force award. Yeah, for real. Mine was the... Baby Yoda domination at the end, but you're totally right. It really is kind of the show as a whole was one end-to-end action scene. 110 mile per hour sprint, which I think is going to be the case from here on out. So if you look at it in that context, the back half of season two has been phenomenal TV. Star Wars at its fucking peak, man. And I've been saying that going into this year that I've been telling you, I'm like, yo, this show is for me, it's Star Wars, man. And are you starting to get that? Are you starting to come on board with the fact that this is as good as Star Wars has been in your lifetime, perhaps? Listen, I think I've been one of the more critical Star Wars fans of The Mandalorian from season one through season two. And I think rightfully so. I I think my criticisms are, are warranted. Having said that, these last few weeks have been extremely exciting and extremely enjoyable as a Star Wars fan. Uh, I still don't put them, you know, uh, above like Rogue One or certain elements of Last Jedi and Force Awakens, and I certainly don't put them above uh, the original trilogy. But right now, last couple of weeks, I'm having one hell of a time, and I feel but like that's it, all you can ask I'm for. I'm saying, like, if they continue this trend and they close out season two, building on these highs week by week, how much further can this show be pushed up in your tears? Could it make that sort of leap or not yet? I'm not ready to do that yet because I think, you know, as recently as three, four weeks ago, we had major complaints about season True. two. So yep. I'm yep. not ready to make that. I'm also, I love television. I love it, love it, love it. But I'm also always going to be a film first guy. So there's a kind of medium barrier. But that, that said, I think me. the first two, which we weren't a huge fan, or well, you like, the first one i was not crazy about it 
given the context of where we are now and how much they've sort of backloaded season two, I'm more forgiving of the slower pace at the start. Very, very fair concession. One I'm probably coming around on for sure. I mean, is, if the next two episodes are just like these last two episodes, that is the assuming best half season run. Assuming they're going to be better. Seriously. We, I hope so. Yeah. All right. The Wikipedia award, anything deep cut nerdy, we might think casual fans need further explanation on. We talked a little bit about Boba Fett's crest. He also mentions that Jango Fett fought in the Mandalorian Civil War. Now, this is a big deal, Eric. Do you know anything about this? Nah. <laughs> no. so I wish I did though Okay so basically it is a civil war On the planet Mandalore that Turns it from you know a beautiful planet To the kind of harsh desert Area that it is and it's basically Between these martial traditionalists And you know The good guys basically The new Mandalorians now In canon too A Qui-Gon Jinn and a Padawan Obi-Wan Kenobi are sent to Mandalore To kind of help out and look over things and while he's there, Obi-Wan falls in love with Duchess Satine, who then returns in uh, Clone Wars and plays a very, very big role in that and kind of introduces us to the ongoing socio-political position that Mandalore is in and its place in the greater universe while also having an emotional connection to Obi-Wan. So that is a really, really cool tie-in. That is history with original trilogy characters, has history with the animated shows. So I, I think it was cool that uh boba fett touched on that and just gave us a little sneak peek of what the future of the mandalorian show might be that's been my theory for a while that i think mando is going to team up with bo katan and do something about like you know the soul of the planet and taking it over from the good guys and all that. i do like that and i agree with you but i think grogu is going to be riding with them as i said in the purse just fucking throwing people <laughs> moving people clearing out the way for the squad i would like to see that every time boba fett spoke it was pretty much just like an information lore dump he felt like he was act uh, not action-packed but just filled with like iconic knowledge and and tomorrow morrison who, who was in attack of the clones he yeah. that's why it's a cool that he's bringing it back i thought he did a great job like as for this sure. weathered beaten but still honorable bounty hunter badass for sure. warrior for sure and also boba was when he first came on the scene he was more seen as a bad guy right yeah, I mean, he is. He put Han Solo in Carbonite. He is a bad guy now. So I clearly. wonder. So since they let they left him to die, I wonder if you know they're gonna you know now he's being turned into a full blown good guy, which I'm sure for Star Wars OG fans is a big fucking deal. But as we mentioned when we were discussing the Last Jedi on our Star Wars uh, rewind. 30 years later, I don't expect these characters to be exactly the same. You know, right. that doesn't follow the normal human path that we right. all are as people as we grow. So it would make sense that even if he's not a full on good guy, maybe Boba Fett has found a middle ground, maybe like Mando was when we first meet him in the first episode. Right. So I thought that was cool. Uh, now, last uh, award of the day, and this is a new one, Medal of Yavin, which is basically... Our, our MVP of the episode. Star Wars fans, of course, know that the Medal of Yavin was given to Han Solo and Luke after they destroyed the second Death Star. And that Maz Kanata then gave that medal to Chewbacca, who, the one that was once worn by Han, and Leia is holding it when she dies in the, new, uh, the sequel trilogy. So Medal of Yavin to the MVP of today. We probably have the same one. Well, I'm going to say Robert Rodriguez, Agreed. the director, because... This was the most kinetic Star Wars episode of the season. And you and I have, have said we really like the direction this year a lot of the time. But this was just head and shoulders the best. Again, and as we said every time that they do sort of these big set piece things, you forget that this is TV. You know, it looks so incredibly well done and expensive that you forget that this is a TV show and it just... It TV show largely shot in Los Angeles. Too. Yeah, it just hits home what kind of world we're in now, that this is the type of stuff that we get every single week. It's the streaming revolution, man. All right, our last award of the day. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. We think things are going to go. So this is our prediction for the next episode and beyond. Eric, why don't you start us off here? So I have two, one good, one bad. The good one is that Ooh, I think I like Mando is going to round up the squad. Ahsoka, Cobb Van, Bo-Katan, Cara Dune, whoever, 
to sort of do a raid of this ship and get back his boy. My bad one is the fact that we saw the dark troopers or death troopers aren't force clones. And the fact that Moff at the end said to call Dr. Pershing to let him know that we have the donor. I am worrying that we are speeding towards a Palpatine Snoke tie-in. I don't know when, but now that it seems confirmed that whatever they need Baby Yoda's force for doesn't have to do with what Moff is trying to build, that leads us to but one conclusion, and that is they're going to use it to explain the whole Snoke thing, which is not ideal. (laughs) It's like part of me is okay with a a, a brief passing time it would be, right. it, it would be one thing to recontextualize what it all was, but to actually build the plot of the show on this shit again would be devastating to me. Yeah, I don't need like a full episode of like, here's our evil plan. I'd just be like, this is it. Now let's move on. Like a, a passing line I'd be fine with. Yeah, same. Yeah, but I agree with, with your first uh, prediction. I don't know if Ahsoka will show up again, but this is clearly a getting the band back together type of move where all of our season two heroes are going to join forces to help Mando. But that leads me into my question that I wanted to end on. And I missed this the first time around. On the previously on The Mandalorian, at the start of this episode, we see Moff Gideon asking one of his Imperial captains if his source confirmed that the tracking device is on the, sh- the Razor Crest. I noticed I that missed too. That. Yeah, I missed that the first time. Who is his source? Because I'm, I'm almost sure it's not Boba Fett. Like, is this one of the heroes that he's going to go back to? Be like, hey, I need your what help. If it's, That's going to be a betrayal. Uh, what if it's that woman? Cara Dune? No, the mechanic. <laughs> Amy Sedaris? Yeah. It just seems like she loves Baby Yoda, but at the same time, you know, money talks. And we've seen how economically depressed times are and how chaotic times are in the fall of the Empire. Well, do you think it's going to be like a big reveal, like a lore character tied in? Or do you think it's going to be someone that we've met? Oh, no, it's definitely going to be someone that that we've met, I I think. But that's, you know, any betrayal of Mando is going to be treated as as a big deal. And and I'm wondering who that might be. And again, I can't believe I missed it the first time, but I'm trying to think. When did he he get the, or sorry, where did he get the device on his ship? Do we know when slash where? I can't recall. I think when it was being fixed in the town run by Grief Karga. So when he was basically returning to what his, his home base was when the whole show started. Okay. I'm pretty not. sure that's when they slipped it on. I don't think Grief Cargo would sell him out after selling him out in season one. Like from a narrative standpoint, that's kind of lame. Boring, yeah. Yeah. You don't just go back to that well. Okay. Good call, so, Brandon. Yeah, so I, I'm very curious because that is probably going to be a, a big plot point in the last two episodes, I would assume. Yeah. Backstabbing Mando and Baby Yoda. How could you? And also, like, come on. You've seen Where's this guy, like, survive all types of odds. Like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. All right. Anything you want to leave our friendly fans with before we go? Okay. Let's try and guess here. Do they save Baby Yoda this season? Yes. Okay. That's my okay. guess. But, but they set something else up in season three in doing so. Okay. I agree. What about you? I... <laughs> They can't let people worry about Baby Yoda's safety for a full year, right? I'm not sure I can handle that at this point in my life. The internet would go into a collective downward depression spiral, for sure. I don't know if I, I, don't know if I could take that right now. 2020 like has been pile enough. That on, yeah, you can't pile that on as COVID cases are spiking, too. Like We yeah. need something good. Yeah, so please. So I'm hoping it's done this week. Uh, not this week, this year. Um, yeah. Do we think Luke shows up to help? No, I still okay. don't think Luke is going to show up. If he does show up, he'll probably be played by Sebastian Stan, as has been you know, rumored and fan-casted for a long time. But I, I don't think Luke shows up in Mandalorian. And, and frankly, I don't want him to. Same. All right, folks, that is all. Leave us a review. We've gotten a, a few this week. They're all super nice. We appreciate the hell out of it. I'm going Very to much. explain why they're big, right? The more you have, the higher we rank in search. So when someone types in Mando or Batman, et cetera, et cetera, the more reviews we have, the higher up we'll be. So thank you all. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it. And please follow us on Twitter at PostCredPod, where we really just nerd out full on and do some funny, ridiculous, franchise blockbustery conversations, meme gifts, all the good stuff. All right, y'all. Peace.
face. Brando. I'm gonna make him an offer, Captain. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.